I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. Hey friends, it's Sarah, host of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. And this is the second episode of our Best Year Ever series, which is airing every Thursday during the month of January. Now, in this guest episode, I got to chat with Jeremy Schneider from Personal Finance Club, and we discussed all things related to investing and saving for retirement. Now, I know that this is not the typical focus for my podcast, but honestly, this interview is one that I think you're really going to love, and I am so excited to connect you with Jeremy. Jeremy is an expert in personal finance and investing. He sold his business and retired at age 36. Sounds amazing, right? and has since used his time to share practical money and investing tips with his Instagram following. His goal is to help the people in his audience gain financial independence, understand the world of money and investing, and build enough wealth to have options when it comes to retirement. Now, I know that's definitely something I want for myself and for all of you that tune into this podcast each week. The language and process of investing can often feel foreign and confusing. At least it did for me, And Jeremy has a gift of simplifying a topic that can seem complex and overwhelming. Jeremy also has a huge heart and a lot of respect for teachers, and I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. But more importantly, I hope that you feel empowered by some of the things that he has to share with you when it comes to taking control of your financial future. Some of the things that we talk about in this episode are how to get started with investing, some mindset shifts that we need to make when it comes to spending and saving, and what to do if you feel like you're late to the investing game. Now, at the end of the episode, make sure you visit our website, stellarteacher.com, where you can find the show notes plus all of the links Jeremy mentioned in the episode. And spoiler alert, Jeremy has a really amazing course where he teaches you how to get started with investing specifically in index funds. And he is offering a very special discount to the teachers in my audience. So if after the episode you want to learn more, definitely check out the link to the course and get the discount code in the show notes. Now, let's head over to this fantastic interview. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. 
welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So you are not my typical podcast guest. I serve teachers. We talk mostly about reading strategies and I will have guest experts on reading, but you are an expert in the world of personal finance and investing. And as we are starting the new year, I know there are probably some teachers in my audience who might want to make saving money this year, investing in their retirement, part of their new year's resolution. So I thought it would be so much fun to have you on the podcast and just share some tips with my audience. So can you go ahead and share a little bit about who you are and your Instagram platform, personal finance club, and just give my teachers a little bit of background? Sure. I love that. Yeah. I feel like January is, you know, we spend the holiday seasons like getting fat and spending all our money. And then the new year starts and everyone wants to get in shape, right. to get their finances in order. <laughs> so great. Good timing. Oh, yeah. My name is Jeremy. Uh, I am the founder of Personal Finance Club, where I help people learn about personal finance and investing. Uh, my own story is I retired at the age of 36. And that is after starting a company in college and growing it for 12 years and selling it. And then before, during, and after selling the company, I was like, spending less money than I made and investing. And I was able to grow my wealth to enough where I am basically financially independent and never need to work again. And now Personal Finance Club is like my passion project side hobby that I just love doing. I love, I don't know, I'm weird. Some people love paragliding or you know splunking. I always try to name like weird hobbies, but I love, I love talking about Roth IRAs and index funds and helping people build wealth, especially teachers who are like almost exclusively like way underpaid and overworked and underappreciated. And so if anyone should have like the best opportunity to like grow their wealth with the money they have, it should be teachers. Absolutely. And look, I'm glad that your interest is personal finance because it definitely was not my interest in something. I mean, I like baking. I like reading. I don't like learning about Roth IRAs, but I know it's important. And so a little, I guess, background for my audience. As you guys know, I work from home full-time and I found Jeremy on Instagram. He has an Instagram handle, Personal Finance Club. And when I left working in a school a couple of years ago, all of a sudden I realized that I no longer had a school district who was sort of guiding my retirement. And I was like, wait a minute, if I'm self-employed, I need to figure out this investing. And I found his Instagram handle and I felt like for the first time... I was able to kind of like understand like the difference between uh, or even what an IRA was, you know, just like the, understand all of the language behind investing. So I thought he would be the perfect guest to come on and talk about how we can set ourselves up for financial success in the new year. So I kind of want to like just sort of like talk about that right there. You know, so many teachers do have access to like a 403B or a district planned program. So why should they even care about like their own retirement if they have something that they're already paying into? Yeah. So a lot of teachers have pensions, which you're required to contribute to and a 403, which you can optionally uh, contribute to. And, you know, frankly, that's fine. That's good. But, you know, maybe you don't want to work for 40 years and then just <laughs> get like whatever pittance the, the school district has like returns to of what you've contributed. And so I think taking like just a moderate amount of time, like a few hours and like understanding what it is, understanding what your other options are. Maybe you don't have to work for 40 years. Maybe it can be 30 years, you know, 10 years of your life back doesn't sound so bad. Or maybe you can like take a much reduced schedule or, you know, direct your career as you see fit instead of just having to like march through this system that was like provided to every teacher. And so I think, yeah, understanding how money works, how investing works, how much money you need to quit working, all that stuff is really important just so you can like live your best life. I mean, I know so many teachers when I was in the classroom and working, you know, in a school. So many teachers who especially had been in the system for so long were just counting down and they're like, okay, I have to stay in it for five more years uh, and then I'll get like my full 
retirement. And I remember just sort of feeling even like, you know, myself, I was like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to be stuck in a system whether I want to keep teaching or not? Because I have to put so many years in before I get my my benefits back. So I love hearing that there's a possibility for teachers to quit working earlier if they want to do something else. Right. Okay. So how do people get started? If, you know, if teachers are like, okay, great. Like, how do I get to the point where I could retire early or not have to, you know, work out the rest of my contract? What is like the best place for teachers to get started? I think the first thing is to like kind of know what the goal is. And, and basically, you know, you don't have to just like be waiting for a handout from the school district to live. Like you can live on your own money. And so if you, for example, spend a little bit less than you make, I know a lot of teachers are underpaid, don't make much money, but you know, but a lot of teachers also get roped into like terrible investments like insurance products and things like that. And so if you can like understand the space a little bit, spend less money than you make and take the difference and invest over time, you can get to a point where those investments have grown such that they provide enough to fully live on or at least to provide enough where you don't need to wait for your full, you know, retirement benefits. So, you know, there's this thing called the 4% rule, which is however much money you have invested, you can take 4% of it per year and live on that and never cut into your principal. So, for example, if you get a million dollars invested, 4% of that is $40,000, then you can live on $40,000 indefinitely. I know a million dollars sounds like a lot of money, but for just like 500 bucks a month over the course of, you know, 10 or 20, 30 years, you can get to millions of dollars if you're investing consistently along the way. So Jeremy has a course and we'll link to it in the show notes, but it seriously was like so helpful because it explains like the difference between, you know, an IRA and an independent like brokerage account, you know, all of these things, index funds. I feel like I've heard these buzz terms for like so long for me. I know like for a long time, I was sort of reluctant or hesitant to want to like get started with anything investing because I didn't understand the language and it felt so intimidating and I didn't want to do anything wrong. I was so worried. I was like, what if I like over invest what I'm allowed to invest or invest in the wrong thing? So again, where do we start? If someone is like a novice, they're like, okay, I know I need to understand like the system, but like where are some places questions teachers can ask? What's just the good sort of literally step one? You know, to start investing, you open up an account. But I mean, I guess I first should say like your hesitancy or fear or concern or anxiety about investing is like totally normal. It's a potentially a scary world. You you think about investing, and you have like images of guys on like Wall Street, like frantically waving pieces of paper and yelling "buy and sell" and <laughs> and cryptocurrency and day trading and and pork belly futures and right. How can you understand that? <laughs> right. These are people who are in high rises in Manhattan who will wear suits and you know. But it, it turns out investing is actually pretty simple. Like all that stuff I just described, that scary stuff is what's what I call speculating. It's like gambling. Investing is just putting your money away into a place where it will likely go up in value and provide income over time and just leaving it there, just owning, just buying. It's just like called buying and holding. And so the way you do that is you open an account. It's called a brokerage account. So you can have a savings account, a checking account. We're familiar with those. There's like a new type of account called a brokerage account. It works the same. You like put your name in and you like you go to the website and you see the account there. But inside of it, instead of just being cash, like in your savings account, you can buy investments, things like index funds. And an index fund is just a simple way to buy the stock market, the entire stock market. And that sounds scary, like you know, stock stock market sounds like gambling, but it's not if you're not speculating. If you're just buying and holding, you're putting your money in consistently over time, then what you're doing is basically you're owning a piece of every company in the US and maybe the world. And as those companies profit, 
those profits are fed back into your brokerage account back to you. And so then when you do this consistently over time, you know, over a month or two months or even a year, who knows, you know, the market is going to fluctuate a little bit over short periods of time. Over long periods of time, the market always marches up. It's always collecting those dividends, collecting those profits from all those companies. And that's building that wealth such that you can retire one day early, hopefully. I love it. And you share all this in your course. And it's just like, oh, it's literally as simple as opening up a bank account. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you want to do it now, I'll like walk through the whole thing. Like you click open account you, and then you click buy and you have to choose what to buy, but you choose an index fund. And like, we can, we can hash this all out right now if you want, but yeah, it is pretty, it's a pretty simple, straightforward process. And like, then once you see it, like on, in my course, like I literally have like video demos where like I'm doing it and like making the trades and everything. And, and once you say like, oh, okay, it's pretty simple. It's just like a savings account or something where you just put the money in and let it go. It is. So I'll encourage teachers. Jeremy really is good at breaking breaking it down. If you're wanting to like learn more about this, we'll, like I said, link to his course. So like one of the things I know for me as a teacher, again, like I feel like I'm just going to like kind of walk through some of the mindset issues I had with investing, knowing that this is like similar to a lot of teachers. I think so many teachers feel like, you know, we're significantly underpaid as is. And so it's like, I don't have any extra money. And so if we're already feeling sort of like strapped for cash, how can I sort of like even set aside you know, I think in my head for the longest time, I felt like I had to have like an extra thousand dollars a month or a five hundred dollars a month to like start investing. So, how do we sort of like shift our mindset around like the amount of money that we do have and being able to set aside some to invest and save for our future? Yeah, I don't mean to mitigate that because I agree, teachers are underpaid sometimes drastically, I, and it's not easy. You know, I, I can't just like wag my finger and be like, I have a thousand dollars a month extra. You know, and so you know, I know it depends on your situation, but for almost everybody you know, there are opportunities to live below your means. And and if you're not living below your means, like if you spend every dollar you make or live above your means and like are borrowing money to buy newer cars or rack up credit card debt or whatever, investing, wealth building, all that's out the window. You know, you've already lost, you know, I, I have these two rules of building wealth and rule number one is to live below your means. And again, with like, you know, teachers, it's rough because like, like I, all my friends are teachers. When I talk to teachers, like you guys work so hard and like so underappreciated. And like, so I, 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 I don't want to like just throw more shit on your plate and be like, you also should feel bad about this. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll give you, I mean, a few things. One is that try to like pay yourself first. And so whatever you make every month, see if you can take a hundred, 200, whatever it is, a few hundred bucks, and then just set it aside. And, you know, you could budget, you know, I, I actually do use a budgeting app. Some people like, you know, track each of their categories of expenses and try to like mitigate those. But another just simpler strategy is just to like take a few hundred bucks a month first, set that aside. And then with everything else, like give yourself permission to spend it. Another thing that I kind of alluded to is like, beware of the people who show up to your school and like fancy suits and give you presentations about the products that they're selling. And they often call themselves financial advisors. And they also often have very nice presentations and very slick sounding stuff. But like what they really are is insurance salesmen selling you commission stuff. And so and so I just talked to a 25-year-old teacher you know, a few weeks ago who was single, no kids, making like $40,000 a year. And then this, this insurance salesman convinced her to buy this $500 a month life insurance policy. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, you don't, you don't need life insurance because if you die, you know, that would be a tragedy, but no one, no one needs money. You know, you're not insuring against your children starving because you have no children. And, and he pitched it to her as an investment, but it's not an investment. It's just an insurance product. And so if you see or hear or paying for one of those, you could just redirect that money into a real investment. You know, for example, the four or three B is is a is an account that your school provides that offers a great tax break. If you put money into that account and buy a real investment like an index fund, 
then you're building real wealth without just lining the pockets of you know the guys who show up to your your school. This pisses me off because like my ex girlfriend like was uh, was paying into one of these plans for like 15 years and she ended up with like no money. And if she was investing that, she would have been like much more wealthy. And it's like so frustrating to see. I was going to say, I remember being in a school and it was like once a month, they would, you know, send an email out like teachers during your break, stop by the break room. There's going to be so-and-so from whatever financial place. And whether it was advertising as an insurance or a financial advisor, you know, they, they definitely do come into schools and are available. So like, I think it's just like, how do we as teachers know when to hire out the investing and like the support and the financial advice? And when do we like just decide to do it on our own? Yeah, that's a great question. And that can apply to anyone, not just teachers. And how do you know like which financial advisor to trust? And my answer is, I can't tell you that. Mm -hmm. I literally can't tell you that without teaching you how the investing world works at its basis, right? You know, there's no simple way to just like look at size someone up, like the name of his company, if he's wearing a tie, like, you know, what he's talking about. And and they often call themselves financial advisors when they're actually commissioned insurance agents. You know, my my advice is like, you got to spend like, and I again, teachers, I apologize. I'm not trying to throw more work on your plate. Like maybe this summer, get a book while you're like, you know, have one of your few precious weeks off in the summer, or whatever, you know, spend a couple hours, three hours, just like learning about this stuff. Because then when an insurance salesman starts saying something, you're like, oh, okay, I can I can see right through that. I think that's such a good point though, that like in order for us to know whether it's a financial advisor or the difference between like, am I paying into life insurance or an investment? Like we have to understand it, which means we have to take some, I guess, initiative to learn on our own. It might've been somewhere on your Instagram account or in one of the things I've listened to, but I remember somebody saying this idea of if you, you know, and when my husband and I first got married, we definitely started paying into life insurance, because that's what everybody says, you know, pay this money into life insurance and all of that. But at some point it's like, wait a minute, if you take that money and start, especially if you're young, the money that you would pay for life insurance and then put it into an investment at some point, like your investments would cover any sort of tragedy or something that could happen. They basically, you become self-insured. And I never really understood that because again, I didn't understand how (laughs) investing works. No, I mean, insurance agents, they love to have this, like this line, like, oh, you're not protecting, you're not, you're not, you're like, you're, you're doing something wrong if you're not paying into it. And but like you said, at the end of the day, like it's just this product that's designed to like make sure your children don't starve if you die. And by the way, like if you have children or a spouse or anyone who depends on your income and you know you're not wealthy enough that if you die, they would be okay, then yeah, you should have life insurance. But there are two big types of life insurance. Number one is what's called term life insurance. That's where for a term of your life, this period of your life where someone is depending on your income, you pay a very small amount of money. So that if you meet your untimely demise as a young person, then your dependents are covered. That is the good kind of life insurance to buy. It's usually like, you know, in the 20 to 60 bucks a month range. And you, you know, if you're 30 and you've you just had a couple of kids, you might get a 20-year term. So once they're like on their own, then your term ends and they're already self-supporting and you also have been investing. And so you're wealthy enough where you no longer need life insurance. But the types of insurance that you get sold it's what's called permanent life insurance, whole life insurance. There's all these sorts of names for it. Uh, index universal life insurance, universal life insurance, like anything that they're pitching as like an investment being part of it is instead of like being like 20 to 60 bucks a month, that's usually like 300 to 600 bucks a month and has huge commissions. And it's just like dramatically underperforms any actual investment. And so those are the ones you want to want to avoid. And, you know, and also just take a hard look, like, do you actually need insurance and can you be better putting this money to work in an investment for yourself instead of into the pocket of an insurance company. 
one of the things that sort of like has been like a big aha moment for me over the last year, just as I start to try to like learn more about investing in finance and all this stuff is just this idea that there's always like choices. Like we always have options. And I think so often we can feel again, limited. Like I have to invest in this, you know, 403B plan or, you know, I don't have enough money, so I can't be investing extra, but it's like, no, at the end of the day, we really actually have a lot of options in how we choose these things. Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode with some exciting news. Guess what? I've opened the doors for the Stellar Teacher Reading Membership for all of January, 2022. The Stellar Teacher Reading Membership is a growing resource library that will give you the no prep lessons, tools, and support you need so that you can get back to putting your energy into what you're actually meant to do, teaching. It is literally a one-stop shop created for reading teachers just like you. And you want to know the best part? We are adding new resources every single month. So if you want to start the new year off with less planning, less prepping, and more support, head to stellarteacher.com slash membership to learn more. I can't wait for you to join us. And until then, have a stellar January. Can we talk a little minute about if you're, you know, whether you are like a young professional, just like starting your career versus somebody who has been in, you know, and if I'm, I'm thinking specifically for the teachers in my audience, if you're new to teaching and you aren't investing, like what is the approach that you should take? And versus like, if you're a teacher who's, you know, maybe towards the end of the career and you realize like retirement is closer than you think it is. And maybe you're not as confident in your you know, school provided, you know, whether it's the pension plan or the 403B, you know, just sort of what does investing look like across the career? So I get that question a lot, you know, people like I'm 50, what do I do? Or I'm 30, what do I do? And no, the answer, unfortunately, is kind of the same. There's no, you know, it's not like, oh, if you're 50, wink, wink, take the shortcut, (laughs) you can become a millionaire. You know, the the answer is you just have to spend less than you make and that's the difference. Like, you know, the, the aggressiveness with which you invest might be a little different. So for example, if you're 25 and you have zero dollars, there is no reason to be at all conservative in your investments because if the market were to crash when you're 26, it doesn't matter because you don't have any money to lose and you have decades in which to build wealth. Whereas if you're 65 and you maybe have $200,000 or you know whatever, you maybe don't want to lose that money because you're planning on it. So you might be a little bit more conservative in your what's called asset allocation. And what that means is basically when you're young, you would be very heavy in stocks like index funds. And when you're when you as you age and you as you approach, you know, 60s, 70s and beyond, then you'd be more conservative. So, you know, if a 70-year-old with their lifetime nest egg, if the market crashes, that would be bad for them because they don't want to see their money go away. But if you're 20 and the market crashes, it's actually good for you because you can buy more of the market at a discount. And then you protect against that through asset allocation. But otherwise, it's simple. It's like you spend less than you make and you invest the difference. And if you want to get there faster, you just have to do it harder. And so if you're 55 and you haven't even started, you know, and if you're a teacher, then you know, you're going to be thankful for that pension for sure. But if you want to like support that pension, then yeah, you just try to be socking away as much as you can until then. Is there such a thing as like, you know, if teachers are like, or even in like their late thirties, early forties, fifties, like, and if they haven't started investing or even like paying attention to their investments, like, is it too late? Like, is there such a thing as like being too late to start saving? I don't think so. I mean, you know, I get that question too. I'm like, no, it's not too late. Like if you're, <laughs> so for example, if you're 50, you're, you know, and you look at the actuarial tables, like how long you're likely to, likely to live, like a 50 year olds, I think likely to live 35 plus years, you know, like I think 
our average US life expectancy is 80, but it turns out the older you get, the higher your life expectancy is. Like if you make it to 70, you're actually likely to live to 90, you know, because you've made it past like dying at an early age of a heart attack or whatever. You know, and so if you're 50, you have a 35 year, like that's a long investing time frame, right? So if you can even start then putting 50 bucks a month away, like that's going to be meaningful to you in 15, 20 years. I mean, that could be lots of money. You know, I just gave an example on my Instagram the other day of a couple who I think was 50 and 55, and they were like, they had a lot of debt and they didn't have any money saved, or like one had a little bit saved. And they're kind of just like, I have this like matrix, like this view of people that like come online, they, they see the, the real world for what it is or whatever. And they're like, oh man, yeah, we want to get our finances in order. And they just like, they just went hard. They like pay off the debt. You know, they both had pretty good income. So they started like living simply. They're looking now at retiring in 10 years as millionaires just because they got really serious about it over the course of just a few years. So not too late. And, you know, you know what, what's the other alternative? Just like being destitute. I got like right. that. Like, <laughs> Having to work forever. <laughs> yeah. Or work forever or like just take whatever the, the school district gives you. Like, yeah, those aren't good options. So I would definitely definitely get started. What about, so I heard you say something and I'm curious, just like what your input is paying off debt versus investing. I feel like I've heard this just with my peers or my friends, people like, Oh, once we pay off, like we really want to be debt-free before we start like getting serious about investing. So once we pay off our house or once we, you know, pay off all of our car payments, or I'm working on paying down my student loans, you know, if you have debt, you know, loans, car payments, even credit card payments, should you pay down your debt first before you start investing? Or what does that look like? So smart, altruistic people can disagree on this. I think basically everybody agrees that if you have high interest debt, that for sure takes the priority. So anything over like six or seven percent interest, especially credit cards, you know, that hundred percent, you know, just mathematically, psychologically, behaviorally, everyone agrees that should go first. After that, then you kind of get into this little bit of a gray area, which is like, okay, let's say you have, say you have student loans at 5%. Should you be paying those down or should you be investing? In my opinion, I like to go the debt-free route. I would like to pay off all of my non-mortgage debt first because I think there is a behavioral aspect here where people get used to debt. They're used to living beyond their means. And so and they just have these debt payments and they're just making these payments and then they want a nicer car and like, why do you have these payments? And so you just get in this world where you're always making payments, payments, payments. But then what's happening is you're never actually getting ahead yourself. In fact, you're getting further and further behind making banks rich your entire life. And so if you can kind of like flip that switch and say, okay, I'm just going to go nuts. I'm going to go ham on this thing. I'm going to like live really simply. I'm just going to like, you know, take all my debt, just crush it. And then when you get to the point where you have no debt payments, suddenly if you're making $500 a month, payments towards your student loans and you get those to zero, then you can invest them to strip, turn those debt payments into investments, and then you become a millionaire over the course of your career. You know, I, I think the mortgage is a little bit different because unlike credit card, car, student loan, medical, basically every other kind of debt, a mortgage is backed by a physical asset that goes up in value. And so you can sell your house and pay off your house pretty much anytime unless it's like 2008 and the, the the real estate world just collapsed. And so that one's like a little bit different and you know rates are crazy low right now like right. really low on mortgages and so the penalty for not paying it off is also really low. You know in my priority I keep that until after I'm at least investing enough to like retire when I want to retire. Okay. So again, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm like, I have all these questions and things. Great. So how do we even know, like, you know, in terms of like having enough money to retire, like what do teachers sort of need to think about? Like, okay, I want to make sure that I have enough money to retire. What is there sort of like a rule of thumb, like a magic number, like is a million enough, 2 million, 
less than that? What do, what do teachers sort of need to either consider or keep in mind when they're thinking, once I get to this amount, I'm financially independent? So I actually have a calculator on my website and you know, it's like, it's hard to just give numbers, it's not a million dollars, but I have a calculator where you can put in your age and you can put in how much money you currently have invested, how much money you're saving, your target retirement age, and then how much you'll need to spend in retirement. And it'll, it'll basically like chart it out for you and show you like when you'll get there. But you know, in traditional financial independence terms, it's 25 times your annual spending. So if you spend $40,000 a year, you multiply that by 25 times and that's a million dollars. And so once you have a million dollars, then you can be retired and have $40,000 of income for the rest of your life, even adjusting for inflation and all that. You know, If you have other sources of income, like your pension might provide $20,000 and you need an additional $20,000, then you, you just multiply that what you need extra by 25. So that $20,000 times 25 is 500,000. And so when you get there, so you, know, you, you can start playing this game. You say, okay, you know, like the teacher you mentioned, who's just kind of like, putting her time in until until she gets the handout or whatever, you could say, hey, maybe I could retire after 20 years instead of after 40 years because I can have my investments provide the other half of my you know income needs. And it turns out when people retire early, they generally don't have zero income for the rest of their life. Right. You know, especially teachers who are just hard workers and have spent their life, you know, <laughs> busting their butt. They're like, oh, maybe I can coach or I can tutor, substitute, teach all of these options. Start my business or start an at-home business helping mm-hmm. other teachers. I mean, you're like there's there's so many things out there that you can do. And so it turns out people generally don't have their income go to zero. And so I feel like people generally wait too long to, you know, pull the plug and, and retire or become financially independent rather than, you know, I, I don't really ever hear any stories about people who like think they hit financial independence and then go bankrupt a few years later. That's not something that I really encounter. I want to go back to this idea of like the whole like behavior side of things, you know, especially when it comes to like, whether you have like debt, credit card payments, you know, student loans, are you paying that off? You know, if someone realizes like, okay, I'm in a position where I do need to start living below my means. Like I am overspending. I'm going to Starbucks too many times a week or I'm buying a car too, you know, too often. Like how, you know, and that can, I feel like be a big sort of like shift to living like above your means to below. So like, what are just some good practical tips for like, if teachers like, okay, I want to start living a little bit below my means, putting a little more money aside for, you know, retirement. How do I, you know, get started with like creating that margin? Yeah. That's a tough question because I feel like there's two types of money problems that I come in. One is people who are natural savers and they just don't know like how investing works. They don't know what buttons to click on the website. And I was like, I can show you. It's easy. <laughs> click these buttons. And they're like, great. But then the other type is just people who are spenders. And they that was in their fabric growing up. They always want the next better thing. And and I, you know, I can't snap my fingers and fix it. That's like something that's like maybe core to people. And so if that's you, I think you need to like have a hard look at, you know, what you really like what brings happiness in the world. And for me, I have found that stuff doesn't bring happiness. Yeah. Like when you buy the next nicer car, you don't actually have a better life. A week later, it's just a used car, like every other used car on the road. Like I'm looking out a window right now and I see, you know, maybe a dozen cars. I don't know who has a new car. Like they're just cars. Like no one gives a shit. No one cares what you drive. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You're good. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> Sorry, teachers. This isn't class. We can we can get uh, no kids are listening. You're fine. After hours. <laughs> um but yeah, you know, so and so there's there's just like this mentality in society that like the next bigger thing is to make us happy, the bigger house, the nicer clothes, the nicer car, whatever. But that's not, it's not true. It doesn't actually bring happiness. And so you have to like come to grips with like, okay, what I have here is enough. You know, this is nice. This car is fine. And then when you can like 
say, okay, this is enough. And then with that extra money that I'm not going to spend on the next better thing, I can actually build something to actually bring freedom and time and happiness. You know, I, I think money is like the most valuable thing you can buy with it is time. You can buy your time back because that's like what, what no one can actually buy. And so, you know, I think about a car, a car payment of 500 bucks a month, which is like below the, the US average right now. If you invest that over the course of your career, it's like $3 million. Right. With $3 million, you could retire decades earlier or whatever. And so it's like, is that car really worth a decade of your life? You just got to really, you know, look at it that way, I think. And then you can maybe try to be a little more frugal. Sorry, teachers. And I think it's like one of those things where, you know, when you start to realize, especially, you know, for all of the young teachers in my audience, start putting aside some money because like $500 a month, you know, $200 a month, even like, if you have that invested for you know 20, 30 years, like it adds up yeah. in a shocking way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually did a study. I went back and looked at if you invest 250 bucks a month at any point in the last hundred years and you left it for 40 years, it is never less than a million dollars. It's on average $1.9 million. The worst ever, I think, was at the bottom of the financial crisis after like the dot-com bust and then the financial crisis, you end up with like 1.3 million. And then it, like sometimes it's like three million, but two hundred fifty bucks a month, and that's like that's on average over forty years. And even if that's off, do you like start fifty bucks a month? Because once you start and once you see that money turns into more money, it almost always causes that process to accelerate. People get excited about it, want to do it more, and then you don't have to wait the forty years. And so sometimes people say, "Oh, forty years, I'll be dead in forty years." I'm like, "You're probably not going to be dead in forty years, first of all, and you're going to wish in forty years you've done it." But even so, why not 30 years? Why not 25 years? Why not 20 years? You know, you can get there sooner as you accelerate the process. Well, and like, you know, we've said before, it's just teachers work so incredibly hard. And so I think like if any of them even can feel like I have the option of stepping away or even, you know, only working part-time or only coaching, you know, because I knew how to invest and was smart with my investments early on, I feel like that could be such a good gift to them. Agreed. Okay. So any sort of like final tips or big like takeaways that you just, you know, want to like share with teachers as they hopefully get started on this, you know, taking a journey to learning how to invest or taking their finances seriously, especially at the start of a new year? I'd say, you know, try not to overcomplicate things. I have these two rules of building wealth. Rule number one is live below your means. And so at the end of the day, even as a teacher, like, I'm sorry, you don't make more money. Like I'm going to vote. I'm going to do what I can to like change our society. But you know, you got to deal with what you got. And if you spend every dollar you make or live above your means, you know, all is lost. You're just going to be hoping for the the teacher pension when, you know, you've done your time or whatever. So rule number one is you got to figure out how to spend less than you make. And then rule number two is invest early and often, you know, take that money that you're not spending, get it into an investment, like an index fund, let it go, let the compound growth start to work over time. And those two things, that's how rich people get rich. And teachers can get rich. So like you can read plenty of stories about millionaire teachers who just did these two things over the course of, you know, over the course of the beginning of their career, or they were able to retire earlier. Like you said, there's all these different things. And so when you remember those two things and always come back to those two things, spend less than you make, invest the difference then start to like pick up how do you open an investment account what's an index fund you like get those things sorted out then you're basically there but those two things are it at the end of the day even if you're not investing perfectly even if you're not saving perfectly you got to do those two things or you're going to you know going to stay broke i love it well and i think too just i mean getting started like once you get started then the next steps sort of are revealed to you as you go so totally how can my teachers get connected with you or follow along with the tips and the advice that you share what's the best way for them to follow along with all of your expertise. 
So on Personal Finance Club, uh, you can find me at personalfinanceclub.com on Instagram, Personal Finance Club. On my website, I have like a reading list. If you just want to read books about this, I do have a course you can buy. It's normally 79 bucks, but do you want to do a coupon for your teacher, Sarah, and give it to him for 59 bucks? Okay, we'll do a coupon. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So you can use coupon code STELLAR and get the get 20 bucks off and that'll be good through the end of January. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay, great. And then you can get it for 59 bucks. Also, you get it for life and it's 100% money back guaranteed if you don't like it for whatever reason. And if you don't want to spend any money, that's great too. You can go to the li- go to your school library. Maybe these books aren't in the school library. Go to your local <laughs> library. I've got a reading list and like if you read like one or two or three of these like personal finance books, you're going to realize they all say the same thing. They say spend less than you make, invest a difference. They talk about the the low cost ways to invest. Yeah, that's that's what I would wish for all of your uh, all of your listeners. I love it. We will link to first of all, thank you for that code. That's awesome. And I have taken Jeremy's course and like I said, I I love it. It made investing seem so easy. I was like, okay, I finally feel like I understand this foreign language. So we will link to that as well as your Instagram website, all of that stuff, the calculator that you mentioned in the show notes. And I hope the teachers of my audience just get excited about hopefully taking a little bit more control of their future by way of their finances. So Jeremy, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. This was so much fun for me to interview you. And I just cannot wait to share this episode with my audience. Thanks for having me, Sarah. It's a blast. I love teachers. I hope you guys all become wealthy. And you know, I know it's a really hard time for teachers with the COVID and the masks and the hybrid and all this stuff and like hanging there. I don't know if it's gonna get better. I, I'm not gonna lie to you, but I hope it does because I know it's hard right now. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jeremy. And we'll, I'm sure, be in touch soon. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at the Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at stellarteacher.com. I'll see you back here next week.